And welcome to this episode and today we are going to be learning a bit more about what goes on behind the scenes of the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics of Human Factors or the CIHF as most of us try and call it. But before we get started on that, firstly, you'll notice I'm not in my usual um, usual studio. I'm actually doing this from the office for a change. Um, and we'll sort of see how, how that goes in terms of quality and, and that type of thing. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll all go fine and you won't notice um, a, a change or a thing at all. But firstly, a um, couple of parish notices before we get going. A reminder, as we've already said in one of the previous episodes, that Ergonomics and Human Factors 2023, or EHF 2023, is just around the corner. And everyone is encouraged to share what you've been up to with the wider community. It could be a bit of groundbreaking research, a successful application of a technique or a process or a case study, or even where something hasn't quite gone to plan and there are lessons for the discipline to learn. Fundamentally, it's about sharing your experiences, not to mention the inevitable networking that goes on. And contrary to popular, popular belief, I don't spend all of my time at the bar because, well, there's coffee breaks as well. But you've got until the 1st of December to get your two-page submission in. Then we look for a variety of input from your latest research, best practice, or just interesting case studies. So go to conference.ergonomics.org.uk. Um, and for those of you watching on YouTube, if I'm clever, I've got this pre-sorted. So the, uh, the link is on the, um, um, on the screen. But conference.ergonomics.org.uk for more details. And let me just play around with my graphics to make that work. Secondly, for the CIHF Chartered members, your CPD is due to be up to date by the end of the calendar year. A minimum five main activities registered through the CPD part of the members area on the CIHF website by the end of December. From bitter experience, try not to leave to the last minute. Because doing CPD when you could be enjoying mulled wine, or as I try to do it once, whilst drinking mulled wine, doesn't necessarily give you the sort of output that you're looking for. So make sure you uh, make sure you get that done. It's only five bits um, as a minimum, and it, it's not that difficult. Finally, thank you to everybody who's been sharing the episodes and the podcast in general um, on social media and, and through word of mouth. But also we've had people start to make um, they use the voicemail facility that's on the 1202podcast.com uh, website. We had our first voicemail through, and it was very exciting. So a huge thank you to Sammy for getting in touch. So to get back to today's episode, it's fair to say that CIHF is an organization that is not only important to ergonomists and human factors pra practitioners here in the UK, but around the world as well, as we've hosted international webinars and events that have had fantastic take-up from many countries. And the membership itself spans the world. However, it's a surprise to many, and certainly it was to me when I first got, got involved, that actually the, 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 the staff that run it is, say, efficient, to say the least, given the number of people that there is around. And one of the key people who will be known to every member, be it through the emails you get at the end of the week, um, or just general seeing everything else that's going on, is Tina Worthy. I've known Tina throughout my time of engagement with the CIHF, and no matter what sort of disaster I'm being part of, she's always there being calm, collected, and solving basically all these problems that seem to go on, um, and just making things generally deliver. So it's my great pleasure. Um, I've been after, on, after to come on here for a while, so it is absolutely fantastic to have her on as today's guest. Not only to find out a bit more about her, because contrary to popular belief, there was a life before the CIHF, and, but also find out what the CIHF team themselves have to do to keep the, the machine well-oiled 
and running. So Tina, welcome and fantastic to have you on here. Thanks very much, Barry. Thanks for that introduction. I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> well, you clearly do on a, on a day by day, week by week, year by year basis. Um, but you're no, you're no stranger to the podcast because you have been on here before. You gave us your insights into EHF 2022, but it's really good, cool to have an opportunity to find out more about you. So I guess to start us off with uh, the, the, the easy questions, um, you know, what, what is your current role? And what, do you, what, what, what does that truly mean on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay. Well, I'm the Chief Operating Officer here. I work full-time for the Institute and I've been in this role almost exactly nine years now, which was a surprise to me. Um, I'm here to ensure there's resources and processes in place. That's basically what I do. So, so the team here, our volunteers, and uh, we'll talk about those a bit later, I think, and others can do what they need to do to do it efficiently and hopefully to do it really well. So as with any other job now, lots of other people spend most of their time at their desk, which is, is essentially what, what I do, I'm afraid. Um, I look after the budget. I make sure bills are paid, uh, accounts are up to date. Uh, I create much of our um, promotional uh, material. So that includes things for our website and um, images for our social media, things like that. Um, I also edit our magazine, The Agonomist, and as Barry mentioned there, I send out a, a weekly sort of news roundup to, to members as well. That, that's, that's part of what I do. Um, I also answer queries from, um, from members and from the public. I liaise with our service providers who deliver services to us and um, manage the team here as well, alongside our, our uh, chief exec, um, Ben Peachy. But one thing, I'll, one more thing, I just want to say on this is that I'm, I'm really, uh, the team here are just brilliant. You know, every one of them, and there's only seven of us. Um, every one of them provides, you know, a, a brilliant service. I think, you know, and certainly, you know, uh, to me as, as, as their manager, and everyone's really dedicated in doing a really great job. So just a shout out to them, really. Fantastic, and you I completely echo that. You goes back to what I think I was saying in the intro about the fact that. You look at the CIHF and think it's this big, grandiose organisation, which it is when you look at the numbers of members and things like that. But I'm completely blown away and was when I, I guess I first found out that actually, yes, the, the actual staff team is is really small considering mm -hmm. what it is you deliver. And um, I get we might get to a bit later, but I think that really exemplified itself through the pandemic. Um, when you know it was leading the world um, in how to engage members, how to deliver events. Um, you know, turning the, the annual conference from a physical to a virtual conference in, well, weeks um, mm -hmm. was just was just incredible. But we'll I'll get back to um, back, get back to that in a bit. Let's get focused on you a bit. The I said, you've been you've been with the CIHF now nine years, but um, you've been in, involved in ergonomics and human factors for for a while before that. So how did that journey start? How did you get into HF in the first place? Well, I guess it's the same as lots of other people, purely by chance. I don't know anybody <laughs> who it deliberately, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I found ergonomics uh, in a public library, would you believe, if you remember what those are. <laughs> I, uh, so I didn't go to university straight from school. So a few years later, I was browsing through a directory of university courses, as you do, which uh, had the subjects listed alphabetically. And thank goodness ergonomics begins with E and not Z. <laughs> take me too long to find it and uh, it had all the elements that I really enjoyed uh, things like anatomy design psychology all brought into one discipline which was just brilliant a revelation really so 
I applied to Loughborough and took the undergrad degree course there. That's how it all started. Well, them heady days when the undergrad degree course existed. Um, so if you started then at the, your, your degree course, then so what was the career path from then on? What sort, what sort of roles and uh, jobs did you get into? Well, I did a well. First of all, I did a placement during the degree course, which was uh, which was at Vauxhall Motors in Luton. I don't even think they maybe don't know <laughs> anymore. It almost shows how long ago all this was. Um, well, I actually worked in the assembly plant there as as the ergonomist, which was invaluable but really scary because there was nobody there that really knew what human factors was. Um, there was nobody there to act as a mentor. And while I was a mature student. Uh, I still didn't know very much, didn't know very much about ergonomics, really. Um, so I was pretty much on my own trying to solve, you know, tricky ergonomics problems around vehicle assembly. And there's all sorts of things there from, you know, working inside the car to, ups, you know, working overhead ups when the car's above you and all sorts of problems like that. Um, but then after graduation, I, um, I worked for the health and safety executive for a, for a short while, really. there, sort of on um, policies and procedures, really. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I went out in the big wide world then as, and worked as a consultant um, for about 15 years or so. Uh, I worked mostly for myself. Uh, I worked as an associate for other ergonomics consultancies, which was great because it meant they went out and got all the work and then called me if they need an extra pair of hands. So that was that was really good. It's a great way to work. Um, and it was just brilliant because I got access to all sorts of places that you don't normally see. Um, so things like uh, air traffic control, for example, or railway signal boxes, power station control rooms, what else were done, food packaging plants, uh, printing works, water treatment plants, all that sort of stuff that you never really get to see sort of, you know, behind the scenes. But, but having a career in human factors enables you to, you know, to do that. And I concentrated mostly on sort of physical ergonomics, really looking at musculoskeletal disorders and and designing things, so quite a bit of uh, sort of human computer interaction, sort of looking at um, sort of screen interfaces and, you know, how everything, uh, how people interacted with with the sort of knobs and dials stuff and chairs and all, all of that. It was it was really good. It was brilliant fun. So then if you did that, then so where did the CHF come into? Oh, it would have been the CHF at the time, will it? It's um, so but so what's your first interaction? How did you get involved with the organisation? Yeah, a good, a good, good question, really. So it was the Ergonomic Society at that at the point that I started becoming involved in it. And my first sort of association with it was as the editor of the Economist. So they were looking for a new editor um, of the Economist and and also really of the of the website. Um, so I, as you do, I didn't have any experience in either of those, but I just thought I'd see how <laughs> see how to do it. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I got the work and uh, I did that alongside my consultancy work for, for quite a long time. Um, and then I sort of got more and more involved, I suppose, with, with what the Institute did and, and how it did things, really. And I suppose that was the, the sort of start of it. And then, um, you know, the, the, the post of chief operating officer sort of was was created really so that I could take it on and and I, I suppose bring all the processes and procedures together really so that there was somebody having a sort of overview of how it all worked and I, I think that sort of worked out you know fairly successfully for the for the organization really. Cool right well in that case we want to learn more about your perception and how the CIHF has grown and do, done what it's doing um, but we'll do that straight after this break. 
You are listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. Uh, welcome back. And we're here talking to Tina Worthy about the Charity Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors, really trying to lift the lid on what goes on in the in 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 the uh, in the, the quiet dark rooms in the back. So, Tina, in, in your time in the in the institute, how has it grown? I mean, you, you as you said you joined it as a when it was the the Ergonomics Institute as was, and so you must have seen a, an evolution of change. Yeah, I have. I, I guess I've been with the institute now scarily for about 25 years um, altogether so yeah absolutely it, it has changed it's probably developed in the same way as many other organizations have over that time i guess um, you know it's become more efficient more professionally run it's scaled up the range of things it does and of course you know technology has changed hugely in that time so it's enabled us to do things just differently i suppose and and better in in lots of ways so so yeah it it, it has grown it's grown from being a sort of I guess more of a administrative set of, you know, people administering things to a, a, a sort of more. Uh, I, I guess we're sort of running things from here now, and then and then having the you know the the hugely valuable help of of our members to enable us to do things. So it's it's changed in in lots of ways, I think. So how's the? Because um, like you say, I mean, effectively you're facilitating this this massive membership organisation. How's the I guess the uh, the view or the direction of the membership changed. Do do you think it? Do you think that has evolved in any way? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I, I suppose we have. We've gone from perhaps being a, a smaller group of of volunteer members. In in my mind, this is. Um, you know in those in those early days who were who were you know on council for example and on committees and various other things and now i think we've we've sort of expanded the number of members we have that are engaging with us and of course as i keep coming back to technology technology has allowed us to do a lot of that you know through even you know through email clearly but but obviously through through websites through social media all of that so i think i think really the biggest change from the member side is giving them the ability to be more involved mm-hmm. yes because i think i guess the like i said with, with that engagement with technology the the ability for us to do you know things like this the the webinars the more remote meetings and all that sort of engagement which um i guess we certainly from a membership perspective we've been quite lucky that we've had people like yourselves who are quite willing to embrace it and and give mm-hmm. it a go um rather than um just sort of leave it back in the corner and you know somebody else will pick that pick that sort of stuff up um but on your on your day-to-day job um so you give us a bit of an outline of, of what it is you do but what's the biggest challenges what's the uh what, what's the things that um you that you wake up and think oh i'm going to try and get that nailed today uh time <laughs> <laughs> fair enough yeah yeah you know, we, we can do stuff here and we've got the tools and equipment and everything else to, to do things, but it's just having enough hours in the day to, to do it all, really. 
you know, we've got lots of ambition here. We've got lots of, you know, ourselves and the team have got lots of ambition, but so have our members. And, you know, we, we, we get asked to do things and to be involved in things. And I just wish we could do it all. Um, you know, it's a, it's a long, slow process, really, building up an organisation, building up a team. But, but I think we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on our way. It's just, you know, just things move so quickly. We've mentioned technology several times, but technology is the one thing that keeps moving. And, you know, you, you for example, you create a website and within three or four years, you've got to create another one because the technology's just changed. And there's, there's more, um, it's more capable. You know, you can, you can do more things because you have the ability to do it. So, yeah, it's it, it's quite um, that's that's my biggest challenge, I would say. So I, you've sort of mentioned it. You you, I'm always stunned by the breadth of things that the institute does. I mean, you just look at it from the from the, the simple thing like, you know, we, now you're delivering pretty much a, a webinar a week. Um, you've got a the the newsletter that goes out. Then you've got Think. Then you've got the the Ergonomist itself, which is. You know, it comes out four times a year, but it's it's no, it's not exactly a, a small production of itself, and the level of professionalism that, that that brings out. And then you've got you know us on the executive pestering you. You've got the, the 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 trustees, you know, providing their input, and then regional. I mean, there's just so much. How do you how do you keep track of all that and a not lose your mind and still do it with a smile? <laughs> Well, like I said at the beginning, you know, we've got a great team here. So we, we share the work, um, you know, so so Iris, my colleague, takes care of sort of organising meetups and connecting people, deals with the mentoring side of things. Um, you, you know, we, we yeah, we put events on, we put conferences on, webinars. So my other colleague, Sam, is now hosting our webinars. Uh, we provide chances for CPD. So that could be, again, be events we members um so we have this big army of of members who do stuff for us as well so obviously they need a bit of managing but they help us to produce things like um you know our guidance and publications so we produce i don't know i can't remember how many we've produced this year probably something in the region of 30 different bits of guidance and infographics and things like that and then of course we've got our websites and social media and so yeah there's there are there's a lot to do but it just needs good organization and a and a willing team behind you and it's and it can all be done well, that, that's and it is really i mean it is a testament to i think the uh, what what you and the team do because it is all done and i think and i sort of said half jokingly but that whole thing of being done with us you know i see whenever we come along there is never anything that is too hard or if it is too hard then we told in a very very nice way that it's it's uh, it's too difficult um but in your so in the time you've been involved, then if if you had to pick one or maybe one or two things, what do you think is the what's the biggest achievement you think that the organisations had? I think the biggest achievement is undoubtedly chartership. Um, you know, we we got our royal charter at the end of twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. and I I was around then, and and the sort of almost the you know, the years leading up to it, and the amount of work that went into that charter application, and and thanks to, to one of our past chief execs, Dave O'Neill, um, for putting a huge amount of work into that. Um, so I think that's been our biggest um, achievement, I guess, uh, would be for any organisation, I think. And and I, um, I I love it when I can say we're the only body in the world that can give chartered status to to ergonomists and human factors professionals because it is just it's such a fantastic achievement, really. That we can do that, and then and pass essentially pass that success onto, you know, onto our members. It's it's really good. Um, yeah. So I guess 
if if you if people are not truly aware about what the um, what that chargership process involves, can you give us like a really high level view about like kind of what it is and what it means? Yeah, uh, well, it means getting making sure first of all that you're the only discipline, the, the sort of biggest uh, discipline, I suppose, in in the country, um, and you've got the sort of large, you've got the majority of people who could be members are are actually members or or know of you or support you uh you've got to have uh, a lot of backups so i don't know it's about 20 other organizations who back you and say yes this organization should be chartered um and you've got to put a huge case together as well um for you know for 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 what you uh, for 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 uh, for, to be eligible for chartership, and then you've got to write the chart, essentially write the charter um, alongside uh, the privy council. So that's a you know an organisation that sort of rep I'm going to get this wrong now sort of <laughs> represents you know essentially the, the the charter comes from the from the monarch. So essentially the privy council are the people who administer all that. Um, so there's there's a lot of a lot that goes into it. I know we tried for chartership way back i mean a few decades ago and it was just so much work we we couldn't quite get it together but then we had a we had another go and and yeah so it was a, a huge amount of work to put it together i guess it is a it, it it's almost proves if you're mature enough at the right stage if you can actually put the effort in to do the charter mm -hmm. in the first place if you can't quite do it then you're possibly not quite there so um so what's I guess if, that, if that's been the biggest achievement, is, is there been a, is there been anything, uh, you know, when you do a project and something goes spectacularly wrong or goes in a way that you didn't uh, didn't expect it, has there, has there been any unexpected or surprising things that have happened that you can share? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know about things that have that haven't gone right. I would say I would say probably one of the surprising things I think is that it sounds a bit funny, but that we're still going. You know, we, we've got we've got two thousand members, so we're not huge. Even though you, you very kindly said we were enormous earlier, but we're not huge when it comes to professional bodies. So if you compare us to someone like the Institute of Chartered Accountants, now they've got one hundred and fifty-eight thousand members. I can't even imagine what administering that sort of thing is like. But and we've got two thousand. But I think you know, so it's amazing we're we're here. There's fifty-two other ergonomic societies around the world. We're one of the, the biggest four. Um, but we're all still here now, given the financial climate, the speed with which things change and, you know, other challenges that face organisations every day. It's 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 just amazing. But I think, you know, the, the the fact that we're still here and actually thriving now is, I think, testament to the, you know, the abilities of our members, all those that practice human factors, all those that, that keep on banging the drum and saying how amazing this discipline is. And and together with the sort of fairly slow but but now growing sort of realization amongst businesses that um, human factors can have such massive benefits. Mm. So I think there's lots of things combining there to to keep us going, to keep us forging on, and to and to really make human factors a, an exciting and you know such a valuable discipline. No, it, it it is. It's and I sort of alluded to it earlier. I think that has. You know, it's, it's always been a nice, comfortable place. So when I first got involved, I remember going to the conference. And actually, I, you know, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm part of it, but it is, you know, one of the nicest conferences you can go to. Is it? It's friendly. It's welcoming. Um, nobody's going to, you know, the, even the hard questions when you're presenting are done in a nice way, um, and, and things like that. 
but there has been, I would say, certainly within in, in the past five six years, a real step change um, in terms of yes, it's gone from a you know what was a, a great club to something where now people are really almost got getting the bit between the teeth to want to make some make some real change, and they can see it's happening. Um, but that, as you said, that you know you've got um, you've got your team, but you've you've got all these volunteers behind you as well, and mm-hmm. having worked with a number of volunteer organisations, it can be like herding cats. Uh, way because people have got different things they want to do the way that they want to do it etc etc how do you keep it on track what's your sort of like a secret sauce to to make it all keep keep ticking along well yeah that's a good question as well um i guess there's sort of three things really one is you need to be organized again you know you need to be really well organized keep track of what all these different people are doing um we estimate that we've got probably around 200 or so members maybe 250 who are doing things for us at at any one time really or or through the year so there could be things as you said you know being trustee like yourself um being on our committees they are volunteers and they're all members i should say they're assessing applications that goes on throughout the year writing content for our publications they can be quite sort of short um you know short time scale Um, Our members chair events, they review papers for the annual conference and all of these obviously need to be organised. But as long as you you keep on top of it and you you keep well organised, then, then, you know, we can make all these things happen. And of course, we couldn't do any of those things without the the volunteers. Another thing you need is patience, <laughs> quite a lot of it sometimes, um, and and just an understanding that what volunteers do for us isn't their day job, um, and that you know things might take a little longer sometimes, and you just have to wait, or you just try and you know make it happen some other way. Um, I suppose the other thing that that you need is you need to be able to recognise what motivates people. I think that's probably probably what you were alluding to at the beginning there. You, you know, we need to know what what really lights people's fire and don't don't sort of try and get people to do stuff they really don't like really don't enjoy um so that you know if we know what motivates them we can match opportunities for them that we you know might offer um for them you know things they might want to do so stuff they enjoy doing and i think each member of our team manages uh, you know different sets of volunteers so we've got amanda another colleague who who works on the applications so she she interacts with those volunteers who who do that um Rachel my colleague she works on the annual conference and she'll be um organizing the reviewers soon to review the submissions that are coming in and and so everybody needs the these types of skills and like I say you know the team is just fab at all all this stuff so so it 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 sort of works cool so where do you see you know five ten years or some point down the line where do you see where do you see the CHF going in the future Mm, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. <laughs> Without a crystal ball, I'm not sure I can answer it very well. But I would just say onwards and upwards. You know, why wouldn't we? Um, you know, we've 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 come a long way. We can certainly keep going on on that sort of on that course. Really, I, I think we need. You know, as a professional body, we make sure that we need to sort of stay relevant. You know, and and make sure we can we can provide what members want, what they need for their their careers, for their you know professional development. Um, and of course, for the discipline that we can continue to, you know, I suppose make the make the wider public aware of what human factors is is all about, what the the impact it can have, and 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 all of those things. And and really, I guess our our sort of you know the direction of travel, I guess, should be 
partly determined by whether we're successful at what we do, you know, right now and products services we offer. Um, and so we're, we're constantly sort of monitoring things really to see if things, what works, what doesn't work and, um, and, and those type of things. So, so we just, I'm not really answering your question though. So we just, <laughs> we just need to sort of stay, I suppose, open to change really to be able to respond quickly. And you, you mentioned the annual conference um, earlier, changing it from a face-to-face -face event to an online event very quickly when the pandemic hit and that first lockdown. So, you know, as long as we can keep responding quickly, we can, you know, move in whichever direction we, you know, collectively our members and, and the, the team and the, and the management here see, see fit really. Um, and so that you know we can we can grow and go somewhere <laughs> who knows where it'll be just yet but somewhere important <laughs> i like the 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 side swerve to the question that was really good um right we're going to do get into the last three questions so but before we do that we're just going to listen to this before barry gets to the final three my name's nick rome let me tell you about this technology in our world is evolving at a phenomenal pace and keeping up with what that means in the human factors world can be challenging. That's where Human Factors Cast comes in. Human Factors Cast is a weekly podcast that highlights and breaks down stories that are chosen by you, the Human Factors community. Each week, a panel made up of Human Factors practitioners, UX specialists, and engineers sit down to discuss a weekly dose of knowledge that keeps you up to date with the latest areas of interest. Buttons in cars are safer and quicker to use than touchscreen. A prototype just achieved a major milestone that actually fits the description of a flying car. The show provides perspective based on experiences from different domains and different industries. We even cover some of the hottest conferences in the field. On this episode, we're recapping EHF, Ergonomics and Human Factors Conference, Neuroergonomics Conference, Human Factors and Ergonomics Society, uh, UXPA International, the International Symposium on Human Factors and Ergonomics in Healthcare. Join me, Nick Rome. And me, Barry Kirby. Every Friday morning when Human Factors Cast drops on YouTube and your favorite podcast directory. And remember, it, it depends. depends. <laughs> oh, it makes me giggle. Um, or oh, Thursday nights live if you're really that keen and want to stay between 10 and midnight. Um, so the final three questions, and we ask these questions of, of everybody that we have slightly sculpted the, the last one in the, for the past couple of things. Um, Tina, if you've got a book or a paper that you use repeatedly, now a lot of people like use a technical paper or a technical reference, or it could be a fiction book, one that you keep picking up time after time. Um, I wouldn't say I refer to it all the time, but I always have uh, Steve Krug's book, which is called Don't Make Me Think um in the back of my mind all the time now it's about human computer interaction and web usability but the principles in it of course can be applied to, to anything really any type of design but but design of information or design of processes or anything so so that's what i have in my mind and you know so I said, don't try and make people think too much about what you're trying to get them to do, whether it's to understand even a presentation. Don't make it complicated and, and don't make, you know, web pages too difficult to navigate and all things like that. So so that's that's the thing I have in my head. And I always say, don't make me think, don't make me think. Cool. If you could, if you could go back to pick, uh, pick a, a, a younger time uh, uh, that, that suits you, what advice would you give your younger self if you knew what you knew now? I'd say try to grow out of the need for everything to be perfect. I, I'm just terrible at that. I, I, you know, I've been working on this this 
thing I have about me for years and I still haven't quite cracked it. I can't let a typo go. I can't let, you know, things that aren't quite lined up properly. I can't let those go in a, you know, a document or anything. And I could have saved so much more time, had I, which is, which is, which is the thing I'm short of. So that's what I would say. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and then finally, um, this, what is it you'd like to be remembered for by anybody and everybody? Well, whether I like it or not, I might, I think this might turn out to be the annual conference quiz. Um, <laughs> for anybody that's been there. So it's something I introduced a few years ago. So it's a quiz with some associated challenge for, for teams to complete. Now it's, it's turned into some kind of crazy beast that comes back every year. And, and personally, I blame the delegates, you know, if they didn't get into the spirit of it all and do everything I ask, like, I don't know, creating knights in shining armor from tinfoil or building the longest bridge from sellotape and toilet roll holders, I wouldn't have to do it all again. But it does come round every year. And, and I would just say, seeing as you gave a plug at the very start, Barry, I would say if you come along to our um, annual conference next year, it's April the 25th to the 26th, um, you might find yourself involved in that. Good. I was, I was, it's one of been been one of my things that I think has been missing on the um, um, on the virtual version. So there was the um, the attempt, that, but nothing has beaten the that physical element of the the the, the, the strange task that, that gets unfolded in in the quiz. So I, I like the tease, the fact that something in that nature might be coming back. Tina, thank you ever so much for taking time out your uh, your really busy schedule to tell you to tell us about what goes on uh, behind the scenes and a bit more about yourself to find out a bit more about the um, the person behind the powerhouse. So, um, if if people want to get in touch with you um, to either find out more about the the institute or or just to engage and ask questions, how what's the best way of them doing that? Just contact me by email, just Tina at ergonomics.org.uk, and I'll get right back to you. That's brilliant. Um, so thank you ever so much for taking the time and thank you to everybody for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you found it, inter found it interesting, then leave us a five-star review rating wherever you're listening, be that on YouTube or through your podcast directory. And do share it. Um, tell people that you're listening to it. We find we get more, way more interaction through word of mouth uh, recommendations, preferably good ones, um, that uh, the people then come and say, oh, such and such told me about it and, and I'm really enjoying it. So do share it with your friends and colleagues, either on social media or through face-to-face. -face. But as for now, I'll say goodbye and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human, the Human Factors, Factors podcast. podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next See time. You next and remember, it's more than just common sense.